Today's Words and Nerds podcast is sponsored by The Accomplice by Steve Kavanagh. If you were married to a serial killer, would you know? Steve Kavanagh's follow-up to the best-selling 13, 50-50 and The Devil's Advocate is his twistiest yet. The Sandman serial killings have been solved. Daniel Miller murdered 14 people before he vanished. His wife Carrie now faces trial as his accomplice. The FBI, the district attorney, the media and everyone in America believe she knew and helped cover up her husband's crimes. The only thing between a life in jail or freedom is Eddie Flynn and his team. Steve Kavanagh is the master of the twist and The Accomplice will keep you guessing right to the last page. The Accomplice is released in Australia on the 26th of July. Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Danny B. From all of us in the writing community, we just think you're amazing because you put your heart and soul into everything you talk about on this amazing show. The podcast has over 50,000 listeners every month. I love coming on your show and I love talking about it. Oh my God, I finally get to speak about it. Talk about all the things that I've been with by myself for so long. I mean, you provide that opportunity to so many of us and, you know, always are an amazing host. We chat about books, the writing process and how literature has the power to change the world. But most of all, we have real conversations and we have a laugh. I'm feeling sick. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for being here and sharing the journey. Welcome to another episode of the Words and Nerds podcast, where we bring literary goodness wherever you are. I'm Danny V, and today I welcome Tabitha Carvin to chat about her new book, This Is Not a Book, about Benedict Cumberbatch. Tabitha is a science writer for the Australian National University and a freelance features writer focusing on issues of identity, family, and pop culture. Welcome to the pod, Tabitha. As soon as I saw this book, I found it intriguing and I needed to know more. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm intrigued about what you needed to find out. (laughs) Well, not every book is called um, This Is Not a Book About Benedict Cumberbatch. And then I had a look about, you know, joy without shame and motherhood, etc. So before we get into all the nitty gritty, can you give us an elevator pitch as to what this very unique book is about? What it is about. So it's not about Benedict Cumberbatch, but it is about um, reclaiming the passions uh, that you might have had at some point in your life, uh, no matter what age you are now and no matter what those passions are. Mm, And this is what spoke to me. This is what really spoke to me, Tabitha, and this is why I needed to speak to you. So for me, reclaiming these passions kind of happened for me after motherhood. So before that, you know, living your best life, traveling the world just doing just keeping yourself alive basically which in your 20s is quite a feat and then you have children and then all of a sudden you're like right who am I what do I find fun again I don't even know what the world is like without these children because you know I was sort of bunkered down for a lot of years you know breastfeeding and they didn't sleep and all that kind of stuff so where did this come from for you Oh, exactly the same. Ah. <laughs> exactly the same experience. Um, yeah, had a great 20s uh, and then just thought, oh, now I just have kids. It's the next stage and I'll just continue my amazing life, kind of have kids on the side. That was. <laughs> I love that. Like fries on the side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was my naive approach. I'd just like take them in one of those capsules and like put Everywhere. them on the table. <laughs> 
put them on the floor under the restaurant. They'll be perfectly behaved. Yeah. Um, I'll take them traveling. Oh. They'll eat everything. They'll sleep anywhere. Um, but yeah, I discovered that that, you know, would you believe was uh, quite naive. And I can hardly uh, believe it. <laughs> that in fact, my entire life was now dedicated to raising these children to the point um, I was, you know, they're, they're older now. Uh, but I was uh, reminiscing with my husband the other day about how when we used to have like the baby in the carrier strapped to our front and how like if you needed to and the baby was sleeping, you know, and you needed to sneeze, you just held the sneeze in, you know, and if you needed to go to the toilet, you just didn't go to the toilet. Yeah, because... I remember I loved those carrier things, right? But I remember you used to drop something. It's like, right, that's forgotten for that's me it. forever. <laughs> <laughs> that will, we'll never be picking that up. We'll never be picked um, up unless yeah. someone picks it up for me. So, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> I know. And it's like, oh, wow, yeah, I can't put my shoes on if they have laces. I yes. yes. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was this uh, realisation that, <laughs> like, not only could I uh, not adapt my uh, emotional life to having children. Like, I mean, you can't, your physical life, your entire life is now bent to the will of the creatures that you need to keep alive. Yeah, exactly. And it's a massive responsibility, you know, and on top of that, you know, I had postnatal anxiety. So my auntie passed away two weeks after my first child was born. And I just don't think we talk about things enough, uh, these things enough particularly. And that's why I really liked your book because you're bringing these issues to the surface, but in kind of a fun, quirky way, you know. And I just thought we have these conversations or we have these Insta threads, which are my perfect baby, you know, on the rug with a little sign that says three months old and, you know, you're looking gorgeous and you're pregnant or whatever. And I just think, yes, that's all true, but there's another side to all of that as well. And I just don't think we talk about it enough because, when I was going through all of that stuff, I thought, wow, no one's really talked about this before. You know, is it me? Am I something wrong with me? And so that's why I love to have these conversations because bringing them to the forefront makes you feel just a little bit more like this is okay. This is just a stage of what I'm going through. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you, and you disappear. Like it's that amazing. And I think that's hard. It is hard to, to show that to other people. I think one of the reasons we don't see it on our Instagram feeds is because it is. It you is don't want to take a photo of it. Okay? <laughs> exactly. Like, it doesn't look good. Uh, and it's very internal. And I just yeah. think a lot of the life of a, of a stay-at-home mother in those early years is extremely internal. Yeah, um, absolutely. And it is, it is just hard to represent that sensation of like, oh, mm. like I actually don't know who I am in the world anymore. It is. Yeah. It's interesting. And because, you know, my experience was that the, the children are relying on you for so much, particularly if you're, you know, breastfeeding them. And, you know, when they're crying, they have to come to you. When they're hungry, they have to come to you. They, they want to sleep with you. And although that all of that is beautiful and you feel really loved and wanted, I remember at the end of the day, I'd wished I could levitate. I did not want a thing touching me. Even the lounge touching me was too much. You know, these things are really hard to explain without sounding completely weird. Yeah, I mean, that expression touched out, yes. which I had never heard until, you know, I experienced being touched out. <laughs> Can I just levitate, please? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, don't come near me. And it, I mean, I, it is it is so specific to that time like i yeah it is it is hard to imagine feeling that way before it happens to you and then once it passes like now i'm like oh come give me a cuddle like i'm desperate for my kids to cuddle me now it's right. a very specific time uh yeah but it comes with its own very specific set of kind of emotional baggage yeah. and i just think it's something that you haven't experienced before and even if you experience it through your friends or whatever 
you can never really understand what it's like until you go through it. I remember saying to my two best friends who had kids in their early 20s, why didn't you tell me what childbirth was like? They're like, oh, we did. You just didn't care at that time because <laughs> you did it 10 years later. I was like, oh, right. And we're sure we told you. You just blocked that out. Exactly. So, you know, although you can sort of live kind of those experiences through people, it's until you really go through it that is really hard. And, you know, I reclaimed my joy and my identity by starting this podcast. You know, my kids were still really little, but in the day, like as, as great as it is to talk to them, you're not getting much back <laughs> in terms of conversation. Right? And I, I needed something where I didn't have to leave the house, but I could still engage in these really interesting conversations about books and the world. And so for you, I'm assuming that you know what you reclaimed and was was this book yeah exactly yeah like i mean it, you think it's going to be benedict cumberbatch uh which and he was <laughs> you know, he, he was he was the catalyst like he was the starting <laughs> you gotta tell me about this joke please tell me well so you know the um he kind of set off he triggered this feeling of like of actually wanting something for myself and kind of remembering what it was to experience emotions if you're uh, listening benedict come about you can find tabitha yeah, yeah. <laughs> on anywhere. social media anyway yeah at tabitha <laughs> knock on my door um yeah, that he kind of, yeah, he reminded me of just what it was to want something just for myself, like, and, and inexplicably, like, to just go, yeah, like, this is, like, I, I want more of this, I want to, I want this in front of my eyeballs, uh, and, and in my ear holes. Uh, and, uh, and, but what eventually that did was it was kind of snowballed, like the reminder of just feeling good, doing things for myself um working out how to make time for myself in the context of being um you know a very like a mother in the in the weeds kind of allowed me then to remember the other things i loved and the things that i actually wanted to do and kind of reconnect with everything not from just my 20s but actually from before like from when i was a teenager really um and i hadn't been restricted or limited in any way Mm. in my in my thinking about what i wanted to do and yeah and the end result is is the book yeah, I love that. And it's, it's interesting what you say, and I can only speak from a female experience and from an experience of a mother. So I'm sure this happens to other people as well. But there's so much guilt attached, I found in motherhood to carving something out for yourself. You know, it's always like, I'll only be five minutes, I'm just going to grab a coffee, I've just got this podcast to do. Instead of, you know, I read this um, article about women always apologising for what they say, oh, I'm sorry that I've got to do this, or I'm just going to do this and putting these qualifiers in front of it. So I've really, it's really hard to stop, though. I didn't know I was doing this but it's so inbuilt I think in our in our cultural system that that's what happens and so but when you stop doing that like I'm going to do a podcast it's kind of scary but it's kind of liberating you know to think I'm going to carve this time out for myself whether it be 30 minutes a day or whatever and I'm not going to feel guilty about it and when I say I'm not going to feel guilty Tabitha I'm going to try really hard not to feel guilty but it's still there right oh yeah absolutely like it feels really transgressive mm. you know in and I mean for me you know it started with I want to make time to like watch this BBC historical drama like and that is that's much worse in terms of <laughs> what we deem as a good use of our time than doing a podcast like I that, hate that I think I you know should be able so to do that, anything yeah. you want you know exactly. whatever gives you that peace or that joy you should be able yeah. to do that without shame and I don't care what it is baking cakes watching tv going hang gliding whatever it does like I don't think it has to be necessarily purposeful do you know what I mean no if I mean it the the kind of uh the conclusion I reach in the book is that it shouldn't be purposeful yeah 
like, the, <laughs> like if you want it to feel good and if you want it to feel play and you want it to kind of restore you then it can't serve another purpose like making money or you know exercise that you're begrudgingly doing mm. or kind mm. of fulfilling a, a social role like caring or um you know community role it should just absolutely be completely for you and require no justification um to anyone else but it's still it absolutely is so ingrained that it makes you yeah. feel guilty that because you are having because especially when you're a mother time is at such a premium if you want to make time for yourself you've kind of got no choice but to sacrifice time with the children yeah. like it, it's just a, an unfortunate um kind of maths of the situation and then you're like oh you know i am now choosing not to spend time with my children in order to do this thing that is just for me and has no point um yeah but the reality is is that you know men fathers <laughs> Like I'm much more capable uh, of doing this than mothers. And so it shows that it kind of is possible, but it does require um, a kind of a rejigging of, mm. of, who should be, of who should be responsible for what and when. Yeah. It's interesting because I'm not sure, like, you know, I, I do consider myself to be a feminist and, you know, woman of the world, but then you still have these feelings of guilt. And I wonder, is this something that is just in us or is it a cultural thing a social thing or is it all these things combined and how do we keep pushing against it because it, it's hard to push against it like you want to and you don't want to feel those feelings of guilt because i think i'm a better mother and human when i carve time out for myself which benefits everyone but you know how do you keep pushing against that and how do we change that for the next sort of you know generation of mothers coming through yeah, so a woman that I um, quote in the book, Bridget Schultz, she's yeah. done, she's a time management uh, expert. And she says, you know, there's just never been a history or culture of leisure or play for women, mm. you know, at any point. Like women's free time, free, in inverted commas, mm. <laughs> uh, it has always been directed towards um, something productive and purposeful. And that includes like quilting and like, you know, back in the day, canning and, you know, and even book clubs now can have this sense of like your, it's, it's betterment, it's personal betterment, mm. and it's often community building and all, and it serves all these other purposes. Um, but because, you know, women's participation in, for example, sport uh, and as fans of sport is a relatively new thing. You know, we, we are so far and sport being the perfect example of something that is just pure leisure, pure play, serves no point other than just fun, especially if you're just watching it. Um, we haven't developed that culture mm -hmm. uh, that men have to just, you know, it's <laughs> invest time in something that is is purely for fun uh, and so it kind of is ingrained and it is something that I definitely see um, like in my own mother's experience she definitely did not have time or um, felt like she could have space in her life for that kind of fun and so I think I mean I think it is changing but I think the reason we do feel guilty is because it's we haven't had it modeled and there haven't been many examples. And when women do, when we do see women have fun, especially older women, like we kind of think it's unseemly. Like you don't want to see that. I don't, Tabitha. Yeah. <laughs> I well, think I don't either. That's, that's who I want to be to grow up. When exactly. I grow up, that's who I want to be. <laughs> I know. But if you think when you were in your 20s, you know, mm. and you saw older women, 
uh, behaving in a way that you thought they should have aged out of. You know, like you've been taught <laughs> to believe that yeah. you that we're supposed to get smaller and and more mm. domestic. And uh, we're hard know. on women, aren't we, as a society oh. and as women ourselves? And I've spoken to a few women who are reaching their fifties or sixties and say, all of a sudden, they feel invisible. You know, there's this invisibility of a particular age of a woman that they feel because um that's how our society kind of has been and and it's really hard i think it's you know sometimes hard to have a voice anyway as a woman and apparently it gets even harder which is something to look forward to (laughs) yeah exactly yeah exactly well i mean and it's just you know we're directed to expend our attention and our energies on caring like that is just being you know that's that's the patriarchy for you and before that it was being a sexual object so if you're no longer being a sexual object and you're no longer nurturing people well what is your purpose exactly yeah uh yeah (laughs) uh is it susan sontag the gradual humiliation of sexual disqualification that thing of like you're aging out of being Mm. a sex object and then you start caring for your children you start caring for your parents you start caring for your husband uh you be an underpaid paid nurse, teacher, childcare worker, aged care worker. That is, you know, that is the the kind of traditional role that, mm. uh, you know, that society has. has it's has interesting, offered. isn't it? Yeah. And I just thought that this, yes. is why, this is why I needed to speak to you because I just love having these conversations, you know, and I'd love to hear other people's stories as well because when you start opening the can of worms here, a lot of women are like, yes, I felt like that. Yes, I had postnatal depression or anxiety. Yes, I felt alone because it's interesting that you can feel so isolated when you have your baby, you have your partner around. If you do have a partner, you have, you know, people coming around wanting to look at the baby and see how you are, all that kind of stuff. But because it's this very solitary experience, it's very isolating and it's something that you just can't explain. I like what you said before, that it's very internal. And even when you try and externalise it, a lot of people, and they can't, they can't understand it unless they're, and even if you've been through it, because I imagine if, if I had a friend who was going through that same thing, I could probably lean into that a little bit, but that's now been, you know, seven years ago since I experienced that, which is still quite a bit of time. Yeah. And I think then the other thing is that you're afraid of looking like a bad mother. Yeah. Like you, you have to then go, oh, I love my kids. And of course, you know, I wouldn't actually swap them for anything. I don't regret anything. And I'm so lucky and I'm so grateful. And I, I, and I am all those things. Mm. And, um, you know, I had a relatively easy trot, you know, I had a partner uh, to help and I had, you know, my kids are healthy and I was healthy and, you know, there's, there's nothing to complain about. And you kind of, so then you feel trapped that if you want to say anything about the experience that is not 100% positive you look yeah you look like ungrateful you look ungrateful and you look like well what would your children think if they heard Mm. that or thought that you know if they if they thought you you didn't enjoy the experience and that's why I really like sharing childbirth stories because as much Mm. as you want to color that it's Mm -hmm. pretty gruesome (laughs) yeah yeah exactly yeah Exactly. Yep. <laughs> you have to be pretty honest when you come to yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, you, you can't gild that lily. You can't. You can't. <laughs> and that's what I really liked about yours, you know, finding joy without shame, leading into those things that really gave you passion. I love how in your case it was Benedict Cumberbatch. Just That's what I just found so funny about it. But also I think there's a flip side to being selfish. We hear it on the plane every time we've travelled, put your mask on first before you put your mask on. Little kids, I'm talking about the oxygen mask, right? Not the mask yeah, yeah, you have oh, to yeah. wear. Back in the, the day. Yeah. <laughs> the other mask. Yeah, yeah. And 
um you know we, we we that's okay like we accept that on the plane but then when we come to real life it seems like you need to sacrifice your joy your time your this your that in order to be that perceived good mother and i almost think that you know selfishness has become a dirty word and it's linked to narcissism and all those kind of things but i actually think that a certain level of selfishness is what then gives you that time to carve out those passions and it makes you a better person because how much how how much i think how much of a better mother do you feel when you've had your time you know you've had the time to catch up on your sleep or watch your favorite tv show or talk to an interesting human or do a podcast or have a coffee or what do some canning or quilting whatever it might be Tabitha. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's that thing of modelling, right? Like yeah. you, if you want uh, your children, especially your daughters, to, to have make room in their life for these these kind of, you know, wonderful experiences, you need to demonstrate to them that you have you value them and you prioritise them. Yeah. But just to go back to the idea of, you know, it, you feel or look selfish if you uh, are making time for yourself, you know, it's only that is only a function of women carrying an excess burden of domestic responsibility. Yeah. Like if if uh, domestic and caring responsibilities were shared more equally uh, between our family members and community members, then you wouldn't have this problem. There would actually be plenty and you know plenty time for everyone to do what they love. But it's just because mothers are carrying an unfair share that they then have to look selfish by wanting some back. Like if you, when you look at countries where uh, men are more likely to take uh, parental leave and more likely to work part time and more likely to do all the things, yeah, this is Denmark, it's always Denmark. <laughs> Um, you know, then women and men have, have exactly the same amount of time uh, to spend on leisure activities, whereas in, in every other country that's not, you know, not Denmark and Sweden, mm -hmm. you um, men have sometimes double the amount of time per week to spend on their leisure activities, you know, mm -hmm. and are they being selfish? No, they're just using the time that they have available to them because their partners uh, are carrying the, the, the burden. It's not, you know, that is not at fault with the individual men in the relationships it's a systemic structural yeah, problem that exactly. we have to like address uh, at a much broader level mm. about who's and when you're saying that just about you know the allowances for parental leave can have a yeah. huge impact on a huge, huge impact on what the family looks like and the structures yeah. and the time it just really frustrates me that leisure and fun and play are put so down on the list you know we talk about mental health all the time we talk about trying to do things that are good for mental health which are those leather leisure fun playful activities just maybe said, leather i just said leather <laughs> i don't know what that says why not <laughs> was it an accident yeah. I don't know. You'll, ne you'll never know <laughs> You're hearing it all here. <laughs> the secrets of Danny and Tabitha yeah. coming out. Yeah. I've got to tell listeners that usually I record at night. This is like fresh in the morning. So yeah. this, is, this is something a bit odd for me to be interviewing it really bright and early in the morning. Yeah. So I don't know what's happening here. And I've totally lost my train of thought. What was I even saying? Oh, that's right. Mental Why health leisure, leisure, leisure yeah. and yeah. play and fun why they're so at the bottom of the list when we know that's what's good for our mental health 
Yeah, and it's like, you know, if in all the studies of what makes people happy and what they wish they had more time to spend on, it's always things like just, the, you know, going to see a band or. Yeah, it's know. not canning. I'm, no. I'm pretty sure it's not canning. <laughs> no, and, it's, and it's not looking after the kids. Yeah. Like it's that thing, of course, playing with the kids is fun, but it's, it's not everything. Like it yeah. cannot supply your entire mental yeah. you know, health. It cannot. Um, uh, you know, keep it alive. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I love how we've talked. Yeah. We have talked about the books. I love, I love, I love the cover. I love the title It grabbed my attention straight away. And then I started to dig a bit deeper and read it. I thought, oh, this is about some really serious stuff that we need to talk about, but packaged in a way that attracts you to it, you know, and that's why I just love having these conversations. So I think we've covered a lot of ground at eight o'clock in the morning. Yep. <laughs> covered a lot of ground about, you know, the conversations we still need to have, um, you know, with our families, with our partners and with our children. I think you're spot on when you say you need to model these things because that's what I try and do for my children. You know, it's okay for me to have my time as well. I know you want to have a bath. Maybe people have heard my children in the background this morning. So I've tried to mute here and there, but I think it's unavoidable. <laughs> and so we just kind of do all these multitasking, try and carve time out for ourselves. And just hopefully we can do more of that to improve, you know, all of our lives, model, model really good things for our children and hopefully improve our mental, mental health as well. So last question for you, Tabitha, I ask all my guests, why do you write? Oh, because it's the only thing I'm good at. Like, it's, it's, like, it's like, yeah, like literally the only thing I'm good at as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> so I got to double down, you know. Double down. Uh, and I'm looking in your background. Can I see pictures of Benedict Cumberbatch? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yep. There, he, yeah, there he is. Yeah. So how's the obsession going? It's good. I mean, so it started like the events described in the book are kind of six years old now yeah, yeah, yeah. Point. so you know the the like any great love affair the passion <laughs> doesn't die but you know it mellows oh it, don't say that so, you know it's kind of like you know uh it's it's a kind of it's i'm very fond he's always in my heart um, <laughs> like every great love affair it <laughs> exactly but it's, it's a terrible quote <laughs> saying it's not a great love affair oh no no it's a great love affair i hate that it has to mellow <laughs> oh yeah i know and you know because but that, it's a different phase it doesn't mean that oh. it's you know it's just it's kind of like <laughs> we just adore each other now oh, he, doesn't know. he doesn't know he doesn't know he might now yeah i mean he probably does now let's face it yeah <laughs> Oh, I love this. I love how you've managed to package this in a really fun way. So thank you so much for chatting with me and having this really deep conversation at the crack of dawn this morning. I've really enjoyed it. And I think it's a conversation that we need to have. We need to have with everyone, not just women, with men, with our kids, with everybody, um, because I think it's a really important thing that we need to try and, you know, it's always slow to change society and change culture and change the past. But I think these conversations certainly help. Yeah. And I think it is like structural change, which I'm a big fan of, as you can as you can tell, is slow, uh, like you say, and it's exhausting. And yeah. especially when you're a young mother, you do not have time or the energy to change so the world. To change the world, like so, starting kind of starting at home, yeah. uh, you know. It, and you know, it also might be up to us who are sort of out of that phase. Look, we're still exhausted. Let's not pretend we're yeah. not. <laughs> but you know, without the little children, little tiny children, I've still got little children, but little babies. You know, maybe we can sort of help have those conversations for the for the women who are right deep in the trenches. And I'm getting flashbacks of what that felt like. <laughs> 
Yeah. And uh, it, it would have been really nice. And I'm sure there were conversations going on when I was in that, but it would have been really nice to hear, you know, yes, you're going to get out of it. Yes, you're not alone. Yes, we've all experienced it. And yes, let's try and do something differently. So I think that's really important. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Tabitha. Love your Thank book you. and I love this chat so much. I look forward to whatever it is you bring out in the world next, since writing is apparently the only thing you're good at. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I better get cracking. <laughs>